Today we are looking at relational health, relation health. I want us to look at diffusing the fears that ruin our relationships. Diffusing the fears that ruin our relationship. And to do that, we're going to have to go back to Genesis and go back to the creation story of Adam and Eve and, and how they started and how they messed up everything. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. Everybody okay? We settled, ready? Because once I go into third gear, fourth gear, then there's no stopping. All right, very good. You know the story, God created Adam and Eve and God created a family to start with. God created uh, people and he created what he created for a family because he wanted a family. He didn't create the stars for Adam. Sorry, he didn't create Adam for the stars. He didn't create the stars for himself. He didn't create the universe and the massive big planets for himself. He created it all so that he can have a family and he can have relationships with us. That's what God was about. He took Adam and Eve. He put them in paradise. Paradise. No problems in paradise. Because it's paradise. None of us have ever been there, but we always think. Adam had everything and Adam was lonely. So God created Eve. This is not an afterthought. God didn't get to Adam and they're like, hmm. And God is like, I can do better. And then God created Eve. God created Adam and Eve. Together they were man and woman in the image of God. Together. So God created family to start with, with each other and with himself. God walked with them in the cool of the day every day. There was this actual real one-on-one -on -one relationship because spiritually they were alive, physically they were alive, emotionally they were healthy and there was this interaction with God at a level we will one day know when we are in the new heavens and the new earth. But God created it perfect. So Eve wasn't an afterthought. However, one truth is God created man out of dirt and he created woman out of man. So there's the companionship in the flesh, in the rib, in the taking from his side. There's the whole uh, picture of companionship. But the picture of taking man out of dirt, I don't know what to do with that. I do not know what to do with that. What I do know is by the end of the story, he's like, you'll go back to the dirt. Where you go. So God makes Adam out of the dust of the, of the earth, the dirt. He creates uh, Eve out of Adam and the picture is complete. God already had the whole picture in mind. He created Adam and Eve together together. Then he puts them in the garden. He gives them a choice because he wants, to he wants them to be able to exercise free will. He gave him a choice. You will not eat of this fruit. And the day that you eat of this fruit, you will be disobedient and disobedience will lead to death. Sin will lead to death. It's not eating a fruit that will lead to death. But in the day that you disobey, disobedience will lead to death. And they did that. They did that. And here's the story. Let's look at the story. I'm in the way I know. But can you kind of, can you see parts of the verse? On my left and on my right? Yes? Okay, let's go through that passage of scripture. It's Genesis chapter 3, the, the famous uh, fall passage, and we're, we're in verse 6. So Eve ate some of the fruit. Then she also gave to her husband, Adam, who was right there with her, and he also ate. Immediately, their eyes were opened. 
This is not a good opening of the eyes. This is not an enlightenment. Immediately their eyes were open and they suddenly felt underlying shame, underlying nakedness. This is where shame entered the world. There had never been any shame, never been any guilt, never fear prior to this. This is where it entered the world. The moment disobedience happened. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. They sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. Interesting. Immediately, their gut reaction was cover the shame. They couldn't cover the sin. Are you thinking? They couldn't cover the disobedience, couldn't cover the sin. They covered the shame. And we've been doing it ever since. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And then they heard the word of the Lord. Uh, they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which was pretty much how the day went. It was what happened every day. They hid from God among the trees. But God called out to them, Where are you, Adam? I replied. He replied, I heard you coming and I was afraid. There's your fear again. Because I was naked. So I hid. Then God said, Who told you you were naked? Abhitakta, you didn't think you were naked. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam said, you gave me this woman. She gave me the fruit, so I ate it. Then God said to Eve, why did you do this? Eve replied, that serpent deceived me. That serpent deceived me and I ate it. Because you didn't do what you were told, there's going to be a curse now. Everything's broken because you disobeyed. One of the things that's going to be broken is childbirth. Childbirth is not going to be the same anymore. You'll have great trouble or greater trouble in pregnancy. You'll have great pain in childbirth. And though you'll desire your husband, though you'll want your husband, you'll love your husband, he is going to dominate or lord over you. Then God said to Adam, because you also disobeyed me, now he's talking to Adam, sin uh, and sin with your wife, the ground you work is cursed. So everything you try to get out of your work is going to be painful. Your job is not going to be delightful. Getting the fruit to grow out of the ground is not going to be natural. It's going to be painful and it's going to come hard. Everything you're going to do in your life is going to come hard. And though for the rest of your life you'll have the sweat and work hard to get your food until, you're, until you yourself are returned to the dirt. That's until you die that I used to create you, the very dirt that I used to create you. Depressing passage, this one. Depressing passage. Let's get into it. Number one, this is how fear, fears ruin our relationships. It's the fear of exposure. It's the fear of exposure. Why can't I get close to people? Why can't I get close to people? My fear exposes, um, my fear of exposure makes me distant from people. My fear of exposure makes me distant from people. Here's the truth. A lot of you have a lot in you that you don't like. A lot of you have a lot in you that you don't like. The things that you don't accept about yourself, you have a fear that you will not be accepted by others. Every single human being has that. And if you're saying no, even that's a cover-up. So you keep your distance and we live at arm's length from most people and we live and, and, and tippy-toe around people and relationships just to keep a certain guard. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 3 says, God called Adam. He says, where are you hiding? And Adam said, I was 
afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked. That's why I hid. He's asking the question not because God didn't know that. He's asking the question for Adam's benefit. Because Adam needs to own up. Adam needs to come clean. I want you to circle that verse. He says, I was afraid and I hid. Circle that. I was afraid and I hid. Fear always causes us to hide. Fear always causes us to hide. I, I, I sometimes wonder how, what are we hiding today? Because of fear, what are you hiding today? What are you pretending is not a problem? In your marriage, in your life, in your work, in your voice, in your thinking pattern, what do you think is not a problem? What are you hiding? What are you pretending is okay when it's not okay? Because you're afraid to face the truth. God doesn't want you to fake it. God doesn't want you to live as a fake. He wants you to live free openly the freest people are those who don't have any secrets I was naked I was naked what does that mean he didn't have any pants on no it's much more than that it's much more than that there was no other people on the whole planet Adam didn't have an issue there when he felt naked he felt uh, naked you see what I'm saying there was suddenly an openness to what he was capable of and he didn't want God to see that. Too late, but he didn't want God to see that. I don't want you to see what I'm capable of. I don't want you to see. I'm afraid of letting you so close that you can see what I'm capable of. What I'm capable of thinking. What I'm capable of doing. That's when I feel naked. It's an emotional nakedness. It's a vulnerability. It's an authenticity. It's a, it's a being out in the open unprotected one of your deepest needs is to be loved but one of your deepest fears is the fear of being seen for what you really are i'm not saying you're a bad person i'm saying you could be i'm not saying i'm a terribly bad person i'm saying i have the capacity to be so let's stop kidding ourselves and i want us to notice the damage that that fear does to the relationships we have Three stages, three stages. We see all these three here in this place. Number one, we see shame, verse seven, verse seven. Once they disobeyed God, the first thing that entered their relationship was shame. When you disobey God, shame enters the relationship. Boom, immediately. If you're going out with somebody and you're, you're, you're wooing somebody in your relationship and you enter into a sin, you do something wrong. Boom, immediately there's shame. In your family, when you allow sin into the family, Boom, there's shame. Shame immediately enters. Then suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Fear is often based on shame. Shame makes us more self-conscious. Shame makes us more nervous. Shame makes us more humiliated. It makes us mortified. Mortified to be exposed. The Bible says the world, they will glory in their shame. They will put it out and they will glorify it and they will color it and they will make it look amazing so that that's the norm. But you and I know that's not a shame. Number two, cover up. Verse seven, second part of verse seven says, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. To cover themselves up. That's the first gut reaction. The moment you feel naked, you cover yourself up. Everybody does that. Men do that. Women do that. And that's a picture of what we are like even spiritually. Today we cover up ourselves with different things, with humor, 
We cover ourselves up with, with, uh, with Facebook photos. We portray and project a, a, a successful, happy personality on Facebook. When that's not really what you are. That's not what you are. It's called image management. There's a real term. Image management. To you, what you want the people to see that you are. But you're not. It's a cover up. You cover that up because you feel. Number three, you become distant from God. You become distant from God. Verse eight, then they hid from God among the trees. Like that's going to help. They hid from God from among the trees. The first thing that happens when you have sin in your life, disobedience in your life, you have shame. You have fear, you have shame. The next thing that happens is you run. You run from God. You run as distant as possible and you hide from God. Don't don't argue that. Don't fight that. It's a fact. Suddenly they were hiding stuff from God that God knew all along. All along God knew their capacity to disobedience. And now they were hiding the very thing that God knew all along. Many are running from God, hiding from God. Many are doing that. They are doing that, but they're making it look intellectual. Oh, I'm on a journey to know the truth. Oh, I want to know what the universe is about. I, I don't want to just accept anything like blindly. Oh, please. Come on. Who are you kidding? Sooner or later, you're going to be back here on your knees. We know that. We know that. But the beautiful way we put it out there. Adam went hiding among the trees. And I don't know what your trees are, whether it's theology or intellectual pursuit or fashion or whatever it is. But we have amazing ways of covering it up. And you have that woman at the well. She went round and round in circles arguing theology, whereas the real issue is moral. Whenever somebody says, I don't believe in God, it's not an intellectual issue, it's a moral issue. Because here's your ostrich head in the sand. Oh, I don't believe, I don't believe in God. He's standing right there. It doesn't matter what you believe. He's standing right there. Sooner or later, you're going to have to pull your head out of the sand and face up. It is not a theological issue. Never is it a theological issue because God is written on the tablet of our hearts. The presence and the power and the creation of God, we are, there's a stamp of the creator in our very intel. On the motherboard, it's right there. We know it. It's just a matter of coming clean. Number three, you distance yourself from God. Learn that, teach that, counsel that to your friends, to your loved ones, to letters. Number one, shame. Number two, cover up. Number three, distance from God. Number two of our study today. Number two, what does these fears do? My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. What is the first one? It makes me distant. It makes me distant from God. Number two, my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. In this stage, when I have this fear of disapproval, I start pointing fingers. The first thing I start doing is pointing fingers because I want to deflect the attention from off me to everybody else. You go from excusing to accusing. You go from excusing to accusing. People who are always pointing fingers and accusing everybody else around them, they are hiding something big. They are hiding something big. And the more I fear disapproval in my life, the more I'm going to point at other people and all the things they're doing wrong. 
You notice people, there are people who are keeping track of everybody's wrong around them. It's not that they're good calculators. They're just covering up major. They're deflecting. Verse 12 says, God asked, Did you eat? Did you eat of what I told you not to eat? Adam said, This woman, you gave me. Is he blaming the woman? No. No, 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 no. He's not blaming the woman. He's, too, he's, not, he's not that stupid yet. No, no, no. He knows he has to go home later. He's blaming God. You gave me a woman I couldn't say no to. And Jesus, God is like, yeah, really? You gave me a woman I couldn't say no to. She gave me what you expect me to say no to her? You mad? No. You gave me, it's your fault. The first person in the universe who got the first blame in history was God. God took the first blame. And ever since he's been taking the blame. You gave me this woman. She gave me the fruit. So I ate. He thought he was going to get away with this. Because it's your fault and possibly her fault. Adam took it like a man and he blamed his wife. He took it like a man and he blamed his wife. That's just phenomenal. Thanks, Adam. Sorry, ladies, if you're feeling uh, a little good about yourself. It wasn't that great for you either. Eve wasn't any more willing to accept responsibility. So Genesis chapter 13, Eve, uh, Gen Genesis chapter 13, Eve said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. She gave me, I couldn't say no to her, so I ate it. She says, he deceived me. The serpent deceived me, tricked me, and I ate it. My fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of exposure, uh, my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. Defensive. Immediately I start pointing fingers. Number three, my fear of losing control makes me demanding. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. That's the third thing that happens when fear takes control of a relationship. And fear comes because of shame. Shame comes because of guilt. Guilt is because of disobedience. The result of Adam and Eve's sin is they lost control. These two lost control. God said, go and multiply. Go and rule the earth. Dominate the earth. Dominate the earth. They're like, no, we'll dominate each other. Dominate the earth. They lost everything. They lost control of everything. They lost control of their future. They lost control of their destiny. They lost control of, of everything they had. They got kicked out of paradise. They got kicked out of paradise. Let me say this. The more out of control you feel, you feel, the more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more out of control I feel, the more controlling I become. I start bossing everybody around me. I start making demands. I start protecting myself. I start defending, demanding, demeaning. I start dominating. The more insecure you are, the greater you have the need to get your way. Because you feel in control when you get your way. When you call the waiter, you call the stewardess, you call, get this for me. They get it. Huh, you feel good. 
You get, you ask for something, it doesn't happen. You've lost control. You feel horrible. So the more and more you set yourself up, you set your life up, and um, um, us men, we are, we are the best at this. We set up uh, the life small enough, the kingdom small enough, where the only people left in our kingdom is those who just shut up and do what we say. That's when I feel good. So I, I'll use money, I'll use fear, I'll use tactics, whatever I have to do, but I want the people in my life who will just do as I say. That's a sense of control. The more out of control I feel, the more controlling I become. Verse 16. Verse 16. He says to the wife, you'll have yearnings for your husband. You'll have yearnings for your husband. In other words, you're going to love your husband even though you both messed up, but he will lord over you. He will dominate you. What's the problem here? This is where you are not cooperating, but you're competing. The relationship has gone from cooperating to competing. Don't mix domination with headship. Don't mix domination with headship. I'll teach about headship later. But domination is not God's will. That's when you're not cooperating, but you're competing with each other. Would you like to move from competition to cooperation in your marriage? Do you want to move from competition to co cooperation in your relationships? You've, when you're not fighting with each other, but you're fighting with each other for something else, towards something else. You're on the same team. How do you do that? How do you get there? What's the antidote? What's the answer? To the three fears, the fear of exposure, the fear of disapproval, the fear of losing control, so that you don't become distant and defensive and demanding. What's the answer? The answer is love. The answer is the antidote to fears is love. Listen carefully. Don't. Just because you heard the answer you always hear in church, don't tune off. Listen very carefully. I must learn to live in God's love. I must learn to live in God's love. John, 1 John 4, 18. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Why? Why? Men, look at this. Because God's perfect love drives out all fear. Men are more fearful than anybody else. Men are more fearful than anybody else. Everybody has fears, but men are more fearful. Why? Because we are out there. We are pushed out into the, into the front line to defend everybody else. To defend our women and our children and our societies and our communities. We are our lead, leader men even more than anybody. We're out there in the open, alone, against all attack, against all vulnerability, against all threats. And we are protecting not just our wives and our children, our families. We're protecting our entire community. Men and leaders, we, we're out there alone and we are more fearful than anyone else. We live alone and we fight alone. So we have to understand that it is in the love of God, in living in the love of God, that we are most advantaged. That's why I don't want men to turn their face away when they, or they don't turn their attention away when they hear this love thing. Because it is a hardcore love. God's perfect love. God's perfect love drives out fear. If there's a fear in my heart, it's the love of God that's going to drive it out, not my sense of comp comp competence. It's not my sense of having a strategy. Oh, as soon as I have a strategy, as soon as I have a plan, as soon as I have a way out, as soon as I have a solution, okay, now, now I'm confident. No, no, it's the love of God deepens it. The perfect love of God deep inside is going to drive out all fear. What is that love telling you? That love's telling you, I've got your back. I've got your back. You may not have had this whole thing figured out, but I will be there in the right time and I will save you. 
I will be with you. I will give you the words. Note this. Please note this. And don't leave without noting this. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is not faith. But let's be honest. Because in our times of fear, we are not filled with faith. We're just petrified. We're mortified. We're downright scared. Starting with the oldest, strongest, boldest of men. We are downright scared. So the opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. Love. Because fear and love can't live in the same house together. Either you live under fear or you live under love. So you learn to live in God's love. What does that mean? How does that work? How does that operate? 1 John chapter 4 verse 18, the second part of that verse says, It is the thought of punishment that makes a person fearful. It is the thought of punishment that makes a person fearful. Please look at that verse. It's very, very important. What is that thought of punishment? It's thinking about the negative consequences. Oh, I've, I've not been good. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been, you know, loving my wife or my, or my son or my daughter. I haven't been, you know, doing this right. I haven't been following this or following that. And, and law, 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 laws, 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 laws. I haven't been doing this. There's going to be negative consequences there because that's what we're taught. That's the nation we live in. That's the world we live in. We live in a world of karma. We live in a world where what goes around comes around. We're told, we're told that. We're growing up from the time we're growing up. You've grown up with a sense of negative consequences. And if you don't do what's right, you're going to get con. Because God, God the Father, your Father, He's going to beat you. He's going to come back and He's going to beat you. So if dad is going to come back and beat me, if dad can't respond to my weaknesses and brokenness with love and with forgiveness, then God must be even more. Is that working? Is that, does that make sense? So we tell our children beforehand, your father is bad enough. You don't have any chance with God. And they grow up thinking of negative consequences. And I'm not talking about unbelievers and all the people out there. Us. Us. We live under the fear of there are solid believers who have read all the wonderful psalms and promises but live under fear. God is going to punish me. God is going to punish me. God is going to punish me. Really? After all that Jesus went through and screamed out, it is finished. That means the punishment is finished. I've taken the whole thing. You still think that God was so loving to keep some punishment left for you. I mean, Christ couldn't take it all. That's what you're saying. Christ couldn't handle the whole thing. Some was left over for you. That's the Catholic Church belief. It's, it's serious. It's documented. That's what the Catholic Church believes. No, it's wrong. It's not true. God loves you too much. And the, the, the punishment on the cross was full and final. So how do I learn to live in God's love? Three daily choices. Number one, every day I surrender, every day I remember, every day I offer. Every day I surrender, every day I remember, every day I offer. Job, beautiful passage of scripture. Just look at this beautiful passage. Job chapter 11, verse 13 through 18. It's a verse you might want to even to memorize perhaps sometime, but at least read it over several times. It's a long verse. Let's go through it. Surrender your heart to God. Surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. 
That's, that's the first thing you do in the morning. You wake up in the morning, you sit on the side of your bed, you check your phone, you do all that you have to do because you, how can you, you know, get up out of bed without checking your phone because that's, that's, that's just wrong. And then sit in your bed. Don't get up, stand up. Sit in your bed and ask God to accept you. Surrender, surrender your heart to God. Surrender your heart. Then he says, you won't be ashamed. Shame will be banished from your life. And you will be confident and fearless. You'll be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath the bridge. And your darkest night will be brighter than midday. Then you'll rest safe and secure. Filled with hope and emptied of worry. What a verse. What a passage of scripture. Every day I surrender my heart to God. Lord, in this heart is where the fear resides. So in this heart, take the fear out and fill it with your love. Actually, fill it with your love and the fear will run. Fill it with your love. I want to know that I am loved. How do I do that? Every day I remember. Every day I remember. What do I remember? I remember the way God loves me. That God is wholly, completely committed to your highest good. I want to tell you something and you listen carefully to what I'm saying. You know your life, how it's been the last 20, 30, 40 years and how it has gone and what all you have done till this day, till yesterday night, all that you have done till yesterday night has no bearing effect, influence on how and why God loves you. God loves you disregarding everything that has ever happened. Are done. Your life and how you live it has no bearing on how God loves you. I hope you're hearing me. Because you think, because you're so karmified, you think that God loves you based on what you do. I'm saying God does what he does and loves you because of who he is and what he does. I'm completely accepted. Titus 3.7 says, Jesus made us acceptable to God. I'm unconditionally loved. My love for you will never end, says the Lord. My love for you will never... That's, by the way, our theme verse for our, for our church. Our church's theme verse is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Number three, I am totally forgiven. Circle totally I am totally forgiven. God doesn't forgive halfway. He's not like you and me. He says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You get in Jesus, you get forgiven. Your sins are wiped away. God doesn't rehearse it. He releases it. And number four, lastly, I consider, I'm considered extremely valuable. I'm considered extremely valuable. Not because of my inherent value, but because of what God was willing to pay for me when he bought me on the cross. You have been bought with a price. You have been paid for by the death of Christ. So I'm completely accepted. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm totally forgiven. And I'm considered extremely valuable. Number three, the third thing, the third choice I make every day so that I fill my heart with love, with God's love, is every day I offer. I offer the same love to others. Others you'll become like a dead sea. Offer the same love to others. 
So I switched the standard. I used to love like I did. Now I love the way Jesus does. John 13, 34. I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. So you're remembering God's love. You're experiencing God's love. And in the way that God has loved me today, I love you today. In the way that God is loving me today, I love you today. Take a, take a solid listen to what I'm just saying. Take a solid look at what I'm saying. Many of you consider yourself very strong, mature believers. So if we were to evaluate the way you love people, your wife, your husband, your children, your, 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 your relatives, your friends, your colleagues, the way, if, is that how God has loved you? Is it how God, you're saying live at a standard of a Christian. What is the standard of a Christian? The way that God has loved, I love others. That's it. The way that God has loved me. So, so if that's a demonstration, the way I love you is a demonstration of how God is loving me, that's a serious wake-up call. That's a good place to start. What is, big th what is the big thing about this love? 1 Corinthians 13, love never stops being patient. Love never, love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. Love, love never gives up. Never, 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 never. That's the key word here. That's the key word here.